0: All right, well, good morning once again. If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 21 this week. You know, I tell you to turn there, but it's going to be a second before we read it. So you may mark it. You may just put your finger there. In fact, I'll probably have you go to another text before we even uh, actually read that one. Uh, But we are, of course... Uh, continuing in our study of of unity, of this unity that Christ has purchased with his blood for Christians toward one another. And we've uh, entitled this series, Eager for Unity, because we are serious about that for our church, for our families, for our small groups, for our Christian friendships. We are serious about experiencing this unity because God is serious about it. This is Uh, What we're going to look at this week is um, kind of interesting because it not only uh, creates unity, what we're going to talk about, but it actually requires unity to even do it. We're going to be looking at accountability among Christians. It actually takes unity to have accountability among Christians, right? There there has to be some sort of a trust there. Um, But as we begin looking at unity and in this accountability this christian accountability um just as i was studying this week as i was uh, digging in god's word i i wondered if all of us realize something okay so i need you to listen to this this is going to set us up for why i'm preaching this text today i wonder if we realize something i wonder if in the the week in week out day in day out of our christian lives I wonder if we realize that we are dealing with life and death matters. You know, I I say that, and that sounds serious, but I'm going to take it further. We're not just dealing with physical life and death matters. We are dealing with spiritual, eternal life and death matters when when we deal with Christianity, when we deal with relationships with one another. And I'm actually not talking about, you know, life and death matters for some people out there, right? That's a different message, that, that there are people out there who don't know Christ, and, and, and life and death, eternal life and death hangs in the balance, and that is absolutely true, but that's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about is with your relationships, the ways that you act, the ways that you speak, and even this accountability, life and death, eternal life and death hangs in the balance for the person sitting in the pew next to you. Hallie, you're alone in the pew, but you know, you get what I'm saying. The, the person across the row from you, life and death, eternal life and death, truly hangs in the balance. I'm talking about people that confess Christ. This is, uh, uh, this is my intro, and I really don't have time to get into the, the doctrine of, of perseverance of the saints, right? We might call it eternal security, You know, people say once saved, always saved. But the fact is, we need to be careful because we look at the Bible and we see multiple times in the Gospels, Jesus says something crazy. He says, there will be a day, there will come a time when people will come to me and I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. And what's interesting about that is that wasn't the pagan people who have been worshiping idols their whole lives. That wasn't even the Pharisees. These were people who had a close association with, with Christ and the church. These were people that he's saying this about people who will have read their Bibles. They will have attended church. They'll have attended small groups. They may even serve in the church. I mean, you think about it. We cast out demons in your name. We, I never knew you. I mean, that is a frightening prospect, isn't it? That someone who can claim Christ, confess Christ all their life, can realize only at the end that they will receive eternal death because they never truly knew Jesus. But the fact is, there's a sobering reality that we say, okay, so some people did that, that's their problem. They chose eternal death, that's their fault. But there's a sobering reality in the Scripture that every single Christian actually bears a responsibility to not let that happen. That means if someone uh, you know, ends up going to hell, uh, they they associated with us, they're around us all the time, they end up going to hell, there's a very real possibility that we bear some responsibility in that. I told you you may end up having to flip to other passages. Go to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, this was the passage read in the scripture reading this morning. Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14. It's near the end of your Bible. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Because we, we need to let this hit us, um, how, how big of a deal this is. Yeah. Hebrews 3, starting in verse 12. It says this, Take care, brothers lest there be in you, that's among you, lest there be in, in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Sorry, that's not among you. This is in you as a person. I'll start over. <laughs> Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It talks about this that you may fall away. We, you may fall away if you have this, this evil, unbelieving heart. It says there, uh, you have come to share in Christ if if indeed you hold your original confidence firm to the end. Now, this is not teaching that you can lose your salvation. What it is teaching is that, that there is this, the fact that we must remain in the faith to show that we ever had true faith in the first place. The truly, uh, the, the truly saved will truly endure, is one way to say it. That's perseverance of the saints. A true saint will truly persevere, but we also see in those verses that we have a responsibility of exhortation, of accountability, so that people don't fall away. God is the one who keeps people. I need to be careful here theologically a little bit. Uh, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So God began the work in you. He will, will uh, complete it. He will bring it to completion. That's Philippians 1.6. But there is the fact that God uses means, namely fellow Christians in community, in order to keep us, in order to complete us. That's why it says there, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Life and death, eternal life and death, hangs in the balance of whether or not we understand and actually do this accountability, this exhortation that this is talking about. And this isn't talking to pastors, right? It says, uh, exhort one another every day. That doesn't say every Sunday, does it? <laughs> it's, it's not saying that pastors should exhort their flock. It is saying, you must every day exhort one another. So This is a serious prospect. And I would say the opposite is true is what we need to realize from that Hebrews passage. If, if there is an unbelieving uh, evil heart in us, then, then we will fall away. If we are not being exhorted, if we are not exhorting others, then there's a very real chance that they will fall away and show that they were never truly saved. Again, that's a complicated uh, paradox, but it is what the Bible tells us. True saints will persevere to the end, but God will use other saints to help them persevere to the end. And so we're talking about accountability today. This holding one another accountable for the ways that our lives are lived, for the ways our hearts are oriented. So it's important. Life and death. I, I, I wonder if we realize that. Life and death hangs on whether or not we rightly hold one another accountable. And I say rightly hold one another accountable because there are wrong ways to hold one another accountable. The first way that I want to tell you—I'm just going to give you a couple. These aren't anything complex. The first way we can do it is to simply do nothing. (laughs) We we can uh, not take this responsibility seriously. We can not say anything when someone is walking in unrepentant sin. We cannot encourage them in their faith toward Christ. By the way, a a, a kind of a side set of this first category of of not having this accountability— is it could look like you not being a part of a Christian community. And again, I'm not talking about coming to church on Sunday morning. I'm talking about intimate, close relationships with fellow believers where you have gained the, what would you call it? You've gained the ability uh, to be heard and to hear and to, to speak and to be spoken to in ways that reach into your soul where you can be honest and open with them. That falls into the first category. You say, I'm doing my Christian life. I go to work. I come to church on Sunday. You know, I might even come on Wednesday and serve. But if you don't have close Christian relationships, you are missing this accountability that is allowing some to fall away and maybe even yourself to fall away because you don't have this accountability. The second way that I see that is a wrong way of accountability would be to simply judge people and then give them the law. Well, I have that in caps in my notes here, to give them the law. That is, we we tell them a bunch of rules. Hey, this is what you're supposed to do. What you're doing is wrong. You need to clean yourself up. You need to get it right. There's a name for that, by the way, that we use our common vernacular is legalism. You need to do the right thing. Why? Because God's watching and he's going to burn you. And that's all we give them. That is devoid of the gospel, isn't it? It's devoid of power, transforming power. All it is is being motivated by fear. And God is much more than someone to be feared. He is to be feared, but he is much more than someone to be feared. God has given far more than the law. So for our accountability to end at the law is simply not enough. But there is a third way. There is a way to not uh, keep out of accountability altogether. There's a way to keep from this legalistic accountability. There is a third way, and I'm going to call it gospel accountability. That's not in the Bible or anything, but that's just uh, my word for it. Gospel accountability. We're going to see how we can truly love one another, how we can truly encourage and exhort one another and hold one another accountable in Christ and in the gospel of grace. And this really does have everything to do with with love and with unity. You know, we spent the last three weeks talking about love, and now we're just switching to accountability. We've spent the last, I guess, eight weeks talking about unity, and now we're just switching to accountability. But what I want to remind you is I am just following the flow of this text. I have not skipped anything. I have not shifted anything. We went straight from love into this. And so This has everything to do with love for one another. This has everything to do with Christian accountability. And I I, I trust that will be clear uh, by the time we get to the end of this. So let's read it together. If you can flip back to Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 21. We'll actually start at verse uh, 1, Ephesians 5, verse 1, because I want to give this to you in context. the, the, The flow of thought that Paul had here. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 1. It says, But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is God's word for us today. Let's pray together and ask God to bless this. Father God, I ask that you would help us to feel the weight of eternity. God, help us to feel the weight of eternity both for ourselves and for those around us who call themselves Christians. God help us to feel the weight of eternity for those in our small group. Help us to feel the weight of eternity for our wives and our husbands and our children, our brothers and sisters, God. God, I pray that you would help us not to be laxadaisical about each other's spiritual lives. God, I pray that we would not be content to talk only about trivial things like sports and cars and babies and jobs. As good as those things are, Lord, let us not be content to never step into the deep things of you, Lord, and to encourage one another in you. God, let us feel the weight of eternity and feel the responsibility that you have given us to be there for one another. God, I pray that you would unify us, So that we can have this type of accountability. And I pray that we would be unified through having this type of accountability, God. Would you help us to see this and do this through your word today? I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So the first thing I want to do is quickly help you see how uh, this this accountability connects to the love uh, and the unity that we've been talking about. All of Ephesians 4 was about unity, and now we come to to chapter 5, verses uh, 5, 1, and 2 said there, if you see, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and then the key words, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We spent the last three weeks looking at those verses looking at how we, we need to love one another, where that love comes from, and how important this is as the glue that holds together all these other pieces of unity. But this week, Paul includes a little word right there at the beginning of verse 3. You see it? But. But. I, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence, but that, that word Means something. It's not just a throwaway word. You understand? Um, it's a coordinating conjunction, and it's it's corresponding. It's showing, hey, this is a connected idea between uh, verse five, chapter five, verses one and two, and verse three. Except this is going to be a contrast, right? It says, "Walk in love, but, but." This is, this is giving clarity on what that love should and should not look like. It's saying not, not everything involved in love is okay because here is a but. This is what love should not look like. You know, I was thinking examples of this. So I'll just give you a stupid one. This is like me saying, I love salads, but I don't like spinach. So don't put it in my salad. So you'd understand that, right? Okay, he loves salads, but spinach is not okay. Paul is saying here, and walk in love, but. So that's what we need to understand. There's this connection here between what Paul is saying with this unity and love, and now he's coming to accountability. And he's going to come to accountability by giving us a couple of case studies that we can look at to see what love does not look like. I think Paul could have used many different examples here, He chooses to use sexual immorality and he chooses to use uh, crude joking, but I I think he could have used others. But let's look real quick at these case studies in verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4. He says there, But sexual immorality and all impurity or, or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now, we could dig into both of these topics, the sexual immorality, the crude joking. I I would love to stand here and talk about how sexual immorality is inherently unloving and selfish. You even see it in the text there. The root of sexual immorality is covetousness. It says there, but sexual immorality and all impurity impurity or covetousness these are all tied together covetousness is the i want that i need that i'm going to get that in our lives and so sexual immorality is i'm going to take that it's not mine but i'm going to take it anyways i'm going to use you for this pleasure and so sexual immorality is inherently unloving it is inherently rotting of both your soul and the other person's soul if another person's even involved but that's not what we're going to talk about today because I, I, don't, I don't think that's Paul's main point for us here in context to look at sexual immorality. And we could look at crude joking. We could look at this. He says there uh, in verse 4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. We could talk about how, how crude joking is actually what makes sin seem much more acceptable to us. Have you ever thought about that? You, you joke about... These, these sins long enough, all of a sudden, they've become not that big of a deal to you. You become calloused to sin. You become numb to how horrific these sins are. I think about, you know, we, we, we see these sexual exploits on, on TV and on movies, and we laugh at it. Ha ha ha, that's so funny that he sleep, slept with like four girls in that movie. That's hilarious. No, it's not. It's horrific. We, we laugh, uh, you know, maybe about homosexuality as though it's, it's not a, a heinous sin that some people really, really struggle with and that it's warring against their soul and we joke about it as if it's funny. <laughs> and over time, we become numb to those sins. And guess what? We are actually more likely to commit that sin or a similar sin because we've become numb to it. And guess what? The hearers of us making those crude jokes are actually more likely to commit that sin or some similar sin because it's it's no longer a big deal to them. It's just something we laugh about. We laugh about this thing that is damning people to hell. But that's not what we're going to talk about today because I don't think that that is Paul's main point here. I think these are case studies of what what may look like loving and fun conversations oh uh, sexual you know immorality sex that's love right that's that's the the apex of intimacy right that's love and maybe you know maybe we should just let them walk in sexual immorality maybe we should just let people talk and joke however they want i'll tell you guys um (laughs) i just feel the need to say it uh maybe three weeks ago i actually had to apologize to someone at this church and said hey man uh, uh, maybe a month ago, I made a joke about uh, drunkenness, and that, that wasn't right of me to do. So I, I, I realized that, that uh, it's easy to fall into these patterns. But they are not okay for us as Christians. They are not okay for us as Christians. We, we must not be partakers of these case studies, you know, the sexual immorality and the crude joking, but we also, as, as Christian brother and sisters, people who claim Christ, cannot allow other people, other Christians, to walk in these sins. I'm going to give you a point. If you want to write something down, number one, it is not loving to let others sin. It is not loving to let others sin. There is a whole stream of Christianity that says, oh, just do whatever your heart desires. That's okay. That's what God would want. He gave you those desires, so, so you, should, you should do them. You know, there, there's a whole stream of Christianity that says, oh, it's wrong to, to ever judge another person, to ever look at their life and see if it matches up with God. They say, well, wouldn't it be more loving just to, 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 to show them grace? Wouldn't it be more loving just to accept them without any, any you know, um, context for, for the way they're living their life? But it is not loving to let others sin. Especially, we're speaking of fellow Christians. It's not loving to let others sin. Look at verse 5 and 6 with me again of Ephesians. Ephesians 5. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, What's, what's it say next there? has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So we say, okay, there's a sexual immorality going on. Oh, boys will be boys. You know what? She needed to have a good time. And we are allowing that person, that man or woman to remove themselves, to keep themselves away from the benefits of knowing God both here and now, and for eternity. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, but we're not going to say anything about it. We want to be loving, and that's our version of love. We'll we'll just let it happen. He goes on, verse 6, it gets more serious. Let no one deceive you with empty words, such as, by the way, all these slogans I've been telling you. Oh, love wins, just love. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things— the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Not only are they removing themselves you know, away from, from the inheritance of the kingdom of God and, and of Christ, the wrath of God comes upon people who do these things and walk in them in an unrepentant manner now hear me clearly i'm not saying someone's sexually immoral once and now they are under the wrath of god you know even though they they claim to be a christian it doesn't automatically mean you're not a christian but a christian the bible makes very plain will not continue to walk in patterns of unrepentant sin we may slip we may fail we may struggle with it till the day we die i pray you don't but we may struggle with it till the day we die, but you better be in the fight. Otherwise, the wrath of God is on you. The moment a person says, I'm just going to continue in this sin. I don't really care what God says. I'm still a Christian. God's gracious. Don't worry about me. The moment they do that, they're showing that the wrath of God is on them. They are walking into hell. And so we stand idly by... We, we just simply do nothing. Tell me that that is not a deficient love. Remember, these are case studies that Paul is giving us. Is it loving to let people walk in this sin? No, they have no inheritance in, in God and in Christ. They, they are under the wrath of God. That is what I call hatred, by the way, right? That's hatred. You might as well say, oh, go to hell. You might as well because that's what you're letting them do. It is not loving to let others sin. It's certainly not biblical love. It's, it's, the world calls it love, but it's a counterfeit. So, if it's not loving to just accept other people in their sin who claim to be Christians, what do we do? And that's number two if you're writing things down. Love exposes Sin. So it's not loving to allow it, and, but love exposes sin. Biblical love, as we're going to see, holds one another accountable. Biblical love says, hey, we, we got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We got to test ourselves to see if we be in the household of faith. We got to have this holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We, we push each other toward this. I think this text gives us at least three ways that love exposes sin. Love, by the way, is us. We are the ones who are supposed to be uh, showing this love. We're the ones that it said, and walk in love as Christ loved us. By the way, Christ didn't say, ah, just continue in your sin. Don't worry about it. He He didn't do that. Go and sin no more. All right, here's what we see. I wanted to remind you too, all of this confronting, holding accountable must be governed by Ephesians 4.29. Look at that, Ephesians 4.29. It's got to be governed by this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Nothing but gracious words should come out of your mouth. Do you see that? I mean, that's plain as day. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We we have no excuse to do otherwise, ever. So all of this, accountability, holding one another accountable, must always fall through that grid. It's not corrupt talk, it's building up talk, it's giving grace to them. But We see here a, a, a few different things that we are to do. Just look at verses... Uh, 7 through 10 with me. Here's, here's how love exposes sin. It says, Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So there's a few things here, but... I'm just going to sum this up first by saying we shine our light by not partaking and by not endorsing their sin. We don't partake with them. We don't become partners with them. We don't, you know, uh, do the exact same thing we're doing. That should be obvious to us. But we also do not endorse their sin. I, I, I start with this one first because, well, first it's the first one in the text, but also there are sometimes someone's, you know, fallen into a sin and we don't actually have to humiliate them and and pour out the 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 harshest rebuke we can think of you know we don't have to tell them how they're you know sons of the devil we don't have to do those things sometimes we can simply walk as children of the light like it says there at the end of verse 8 we don't become partners with them but we walk as children of the light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and true good, right, and true. So, here's, here's what I see this looking like. I see this looking like, say, someone's telling a, a crude joke, right? You're telling a crude joke, and what we can do at that moment is try not to laugh, even if it's funny. I mean, that, that would be, a, you're endorsing it. If you're, you're sitting there laughing with them, you know, but I, I know sometimes we can't help that, but at the, I think we need to do this, at least say, I love you, man, but I really don't want to hear stuff like that. I really don't want to be part of jokes like that. We didn't just say, hey, you're a horrible sinner. You're the worst. You're headed to hell. All you're saying is, hey, I'm a child of the light. I don't mess with stuff like that. I don't joke about stuff like that. Someone's, you know, telling us about their sexual exploits or something like that. And we say, man, I really don't want that stuff in my mind. I don't even want to think about stuff like that. That's about as gentle as it gets, in my opinion. Um, But it is a way of holding other people accountable. You know, Jesus said, uh, no no one lights, uh, or sorry, he says, you are the light of the world. No one lights a lamp and and then hides it, right? They they put it on a, a table in the middle of the room so that it may give light to everything. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There is a sense in which we simply show our righteousness that that has been given to us, that God has been working in our hearts. We show that before them. I I don't want to be a part of that. I I, want to look to Jesus. I want to look to my king. He's better than any of that stuff. We shine that light, and and it sometimes can be enough to to convict them, to say, man, why, why did I think that was okay? Why did I think that it was okay for me to joke in these ways? Why did I think it was okay for me to to even have that sexual exploit or talk about someone else's sexual exploit? And we hope in that moment that that they're convicted and they repent of that sin and and that they're uh, delivered from that evil, unbelieving, calloused heart in that moment. But obviously, that won't always be enough. And when it's not, we, we have to go a little further. Look at verses 11 through uh, 13, or sorry, 11 through 14. He says there, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So he's kind of repeating that. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And we'll pause there in kind of the middle of verse 14. The, the second way, the, the, the increase uh, in confrontation, you could say, way that we, we show love is we shine our light by calling out their sin. This is a little more blunt. We call out their sin. You see that there? It says, not only do we not take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, we expose them. We expose them. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 that, that if, if someone, you know, has sinned against us, that, that we go to them. And, and now we need to remember that we're not exposing them by me saying, everyone needs to know what Joel Denton has done. That's not how it works. Jesus lays it out very clearly in Matthew 18. I would go to Joel Denton myself. I've got nothing on him, by the way. But I would go to him myself, and there would be this progression of calling out this sin, bringing it to light, right? Saying, this is not okay. This is saying, hey, man, I've told you, you know, a bunch of times I don't want to be a part of these crude jokes. You realize that's sin, Right? You realize it's sinful to be joking that way. You realize that this sexual sin you've been walking in that I keep telling you not to tell me about and that I, I want nothing to do with, you realize that's sin, right? That's sin against God. We're exposing this sin and we're urging them to repent of it. We're exposing this sin. Now we would hope, once again, that that person is gained back. That they say, wow, I've just been walking in sin. It's clear to him and he may have had to tell a couple other people and it's clear to all of them that this is sin and we hope that they repent and that this light of righteousness, this light of truth that they've now been given convicts them by the Holy Spirit's grace and that they repent. But sometimes it has to go further. Sometimes, this is the third way and most serious way, we shine our light by treating them as an unbeliever that we've called them Christian for how many years? We grew up going to Sunday school with them, but at some point they're walking in this unrepentant sin. We've shown our righteousness before them and they continue in it. We've, we've called them out on this sin saying, hey, you can't be walking like this in this unrepentant sin. You, you know that's wrong, right? And they've still continued in it. And now we shine our light on them by treating them as an unbeliever. You see there in the second half of verse 14, Second half of verse 14, Paul says, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's no longer talking about a Christian. Awake from the dead? Christians are no longer dead. We've been made, made alive in Christ already. This is an exhortation to the one who is continuing in sin, continuing in sin, continuing in sin, saying, I don't even care to repent. At that moment, we say, hey... You need to awake from your sleep. You need to rise from the dead. You are walking in sin. This is is where we say, you need to understand right now that the path you are headed on is not only sinful, you are walking to hell by the ways you are acting right now. You are walking to hell by the way you are using your body, by the way you're using your mouth. You are walking to hell. The Bible is very clear that there is that there must be this holiness in our lives, and without it, we will not see the Lord. You are walking in sin. You are walking to hell. And I believe we tell them another thing. I believe we, And we could do this all across the board. I believe we also tell them, hey, you know what's better than that sin? You know what's better than that sexual immorality? You know what's better than that cheap laugh you got with that crude joke? God is better. Satan has been lying to you. He's been deceiving you. Your flesh has been saying, I need this pleasure. But you know what's better than that? God. Experiencing the grace, the peace, the joy of God. That is better than your sin. If you don't turn away from that sin, you'll be headed to hell. And God is better than it in the first place. We remember I say we're treating them like an unbeliever, and some of us may have gotten pictures in our head of egging their car, you know, and putting uh, shaving cream on their, their house. Sinner! Do you treat unbelievers that way? <laughs> the Bible certainly does not tell us to treat unbelievers as second-class humans. The Bible calls us to witness to unbelievers. It calls us to, to say, hey, be reconciled to God. That's 2 Corinthians 5. Be reconciled to God. We, we, we say, repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. That's how we treat an unbeliever. But on the other hand, if we allow things like this to continue, think about it. We're allowing sin to become commonplace among so-called Christians. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You allow sin to continue in a community of Christians and sin will spread in that community of Christians. It will become more and more commonplace. It'll become not a big deal. We need to recognize that this is putting us under the wrath of God and keeping us from his blessed kingdom for eternity. This is not the way people who are light walk. Do you see that? Do you see how unloving it would be to let someone walk in their sin? Do you see even how unloving it would be to simply say, hey, you're you're doing the wrong thing without giving them the gospel, the the grace of the gospel that God is better and he has made a way for forgiveness of that sin and all their other sins and he gives them true eternal life. He is this water that they can drink. is this bread they can eat that will truly satisfy them in a way these sins never would love exposes sin it shines light with just our righteousness we don't partake we don't endorse their sin we may eventually have to call out their sin say hey what you're doing is wrong we may even have to bring other people in eventually hey what you're doing is wrong we all see it but if they continue in unrepentance we have to treat them as an unbeliever We don't let them defile the the believers that are around them, but we call them to faith. We call them uh, to the light of the gospel. We are always looking to build this person up, but we're we're protecting our church. It's not unity to to have uh, darkness mixed with light. It doesn't work. That's not unity. But there's one final aspect I I want to, to look at, and I think this is so important. This is the, the following verses, is we need to understand that there is a way for our church, there's a way for our small groups to naturally repel sin. It's supernatural because it's God's work. I say that word naturally, but you know what I mean. It, to, our church and our small groups and our Christian friendships can naturally repel sin, We, we as individuals, have a way that we should naturally be pointing other people toward Jesus and away from the lusts of this world. I call that worship. That is the way, okay? We're going to see this, and this is number three if you're writing things down. Once again, love for God repels sin. So it's not loving to let others sin. Love exposes sin, and love for God repels sin. Look back at verse uh, 4 with me. Verse 4, it kind of gave part of the antidote right there. It said, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Can you imagine a situation that a person is overwhelmed by the salvation that they've received, the forgiveness of sins freely from Jesus on the cross? that they're excited about the work God is doing in their heart. Man, I, I, God, God loves me and he's changing me. God's blessed my life in all these different ways. And right in the middle of that thanks, thankfulness to, to then drop a, hey, I heard this funny joke the other day. No, I mean, we can tell jokes. I'm not against jokes, but you know where I'm saying, I heard this funny joke and, and then we go into this sexual perverted joke. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. We're so thankful for what God's done, done for us. But that's, that's part of the antidote. There, there's got to be this worship, this thanksgiving in our hearts for all that God has done for us. This thanksgiving. We see it more if you go down to verse 15 and following. He gives us a lot of uh, antidote here to repel sin. It says, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. I'm so curious who's texting me this whole time. Sorry. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is this sense from these verses. You look at verse 15 through 17. It says walk as uh, wise. Be careful, how, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. How does a wise person walk in this world? How does a wise person walk in this world? Well, you see kind of there in the next part of the verse, verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The wise person understands That, that yes, there will be a day that we worship God freely and perfectly and totally, and there will be no distractions, there will be no admixture of sin. But right now, we live in a world where we are are under this onslaught of of sin and temptation. Open your computer, open your eyes, drive down the road, go to the mall. The world is is full of lusts, full of desires that it wants to say are better than God. They're, they're sinful. Maybe not all of them are outright sinful, but they're certainly sinful when they become more than God. Then we're in this flesh right now, right? We're in this flesh. We, we have a new heart. We have a new mind. but We still have this flesh that says, no, 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 Let, let's do some of that stuff that we used to do. Remember how fun it was when we, when we did this? And then, to top it off, uh, we, we don't fight just against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, right? There's a spiritual battle going on that Satan and his demons are telling us lies. Satan is the deceiver. He's the accuser. He's saying, hey, you know what? God says that sexual immorality is wrong, but maybe just a little bit. It'll be fun. It won't be that big of a deal. It'll be fun. You'll go right back to God. Don't worry about it. Just do it oh, just tell this joke. It's all in good fun. We live in an evil world where (laughs) almost everything, it seems like, is trying to point us away from the worship of God. You understand that salvation is more than raising a hand, praying a prayer, and filling out a card, right? Salvation is worship of God, saying, I don't want my sin anymore. I want you. That is salvation. And everything in this world is trying to push us away from that, that we might be deceived by sin, that we might have hardened hearts and fall away. That is what the wise person realizes. But the verses go on. It says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We've been kind of talking about that already. A foolish person says, ah, we'll be alright, we'll just float through this world. But the wise person understands that that we need to continue in sanctification and our our friends, our brothers and sisters, our husbands, our wives, our small group people, they need to continue in sanctification and we are a part of that. And then it goes on, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I can't go too far here uh, just for time's sake, but you think about Uh, This contrast that Paul has given us he contrasts being filled with the spirit with being drunk with wine Now if you've ever been drunk or seen someone drunk, you know that that one thing happens for sure Everything changes about them They are they're not just drunk. They are permeated with drunkenness That means their thoughts are different. Their their actions are different Their words are different because there is this alcohol flowing in their their uh, bloodstream And that's why he contrasts it with with being filled with the Spirit, because the exact same thing is supposed to happen when, when we're filled with the Spirit. It should change everything about us. It should change the way we think. It should change the way we act. It should change the way that we speak, because we are so filled with the Spirit. And when you do that, you look at verse 19 and following. When you do that, when you're filled with the Spirit, you will worship. Verse 19 Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see this unity, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Worship repels sin worship repels sin. We have this this thankfulness to God, this praising God here, even in music, even making melody in our hearts, and we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What we most need in our lives, what the person next to us, what our small group, what our whole church needs most, is to worship God in spirit and in truth. And that's what accountability is all about. We see someone walking in sin. We say they're they're, they're believing a lie right now that something is better than God. And if they continue in that, it will show that they're headed to hell. So the loving thing to do in that instance is to, to, to come to them and either shine our light of righteousness or actually expose it or even to treat them as an unbeliever when they continue in it. But we remember the thing that we all need is to worship God. It's not just enough to say, "Hey, that's the wrong thing. you need to go uh, this way. You're doing the wrong thing. We all need worship, because worship repels sin. You think about Hebrews uh, uh, what is it? Hebrews 10:24 says this: "Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's still accountability. That's still uh, Christian accountability is saying, I'm not only going to call you out on your sin, I'm going to try to stir you up to love and to good works, to truly worshiping God, to talk about God as though he is the most priceless treasure we could ever have. And he really is. We sung all in all, you are my all in all. That's exactly what I'm talking about. We need to remind each other that Jesus, that knowing God is better than sin. He's better than wasting all our time watching TV. He's better than wasting all our time doing all these other things. He is certainly better than turning our backs on God and dipping our toes in sin. He's better. He is better. He is better. And worship for God naturally repels sin. That is just the other side of the coin of accountability we all need to worship. And hear me, I'm not just telling you to hold others accountable. I'm telling you to also be held accountable. I've probably got five guys in my life that they could say anything to me, and and I would tell them any sin that I'm walking in. I would tell them, you know why? Because I want to make it to the end. (laughs) I understand it's, it's weird with this whole perseverance of the saints, but I, Jeff, must persevere to the end. So I need people speaking into my life, and you need it too. But so does the person sitting next to you and the people in your small group. We need this. We need to worship God, and we need to keep away from sin. That is what's truly loving, to help people endure. So my question to you is, who are you holding accountable? whose life are you watching because you so desperately care about the state of their eternal soul who are you meeting up with who are you calling who are you shooting texts to just to encourage them in christ are you are you fulfilling your responsibility are you even part of a community a a group of believers close enough that you even could fulfill that responsibility and i would also say who is holding you accountable If you don't have someone holding you accountable, you need to to find someone and say, hey, I need you to be always looking at my life and telling me if you see sin. But, But even more than that, let's just encourage each other in Christ. Remind each other that He is better. How are we handling this? Christ died so that we could have this unity, so that we could have this community, koinonia, this sharing with one another the body, uh, as a body. And part of that is Christian accountability. Christ made that possible. Without his death and resurrection, all of it's pointless. Might as well go ahead and sin, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Who cares? That's not the reality we live in. We live in a reality that Christ has come. He has lived the perfect life. He has taken your sins upon the cross He was buried in a grave, and three days later, he rose again. And we trust in him, and we get that same resurrection, life, and power. But to carry us to the end, he's given us community, and you are a part of that community. Let's take these life and death matters seriously. Let's pray. Father God, We want to make it. We want your grace to so pour in our lives that we remain faithful to you to the end. And God, we know that it's all you, but we know that you have given us means of grace that we have to avail ourselves to, such as community and accountability. God, not only do we want to make it, we want our fellow Christians, the people who who name your name, who confess themselves to have trusted in you. God, we want them to make it. We know that you will hold them. We don't have to be anxious, but we also know that one of the means you use in order to hold them is us, community, accountability. So God, let us be careful how we spend our days. Let us be careful how we spend our lives in relationships with one another. Don't let us support sin. Don't let us endorse sin. And don't even let us allow sin to go unchecked. But God, let us not people who are focused only on the law and not on your grace, your provision in Christ. Let us not forget the joy of knowing you in addition to the horror of hell. God, let us have true Christian accountability that says, yes, hell is horrible and you don't want to go there. And Jesus is so much better than that sin. God, help us to walk in this tender and difficult subject of accountability that you might be glorified and that we might have joy forevermore. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.